National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. One of the top stories at ncregister.com last month was about a web portal that seeks to combat porn addictions that took its inspiration from a very unlikely source, Blessed Carlo Acutis. Register writer Solène Tattier wrote that story. She joins us now from Rome just days after she followed Pope Francis' travels to Hungary last weekend. Solène gives us highlights about the unique ways of evangelizing in our culture and the impact the Holy Father has had on young and old alike in Hungary. Then we turn to happenings in the church in another European country. Jonathan Liedel has more on the German situation, and we examine the question, how does the German tax influence German Catholicism? I'm Jeanette Tabello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, and your host here on Register Radio. I'm joined by my co-host, Matthew Bunsen, who's been absent a while. Hi, Matthew. Sorry to be out. <laughs> you've been traveling. I promise it was for a good cause, yes. Uh, very good causes. You've been, you've been traveling. You were in Rome yeah. uh, not too long ago, now in Birmingham. So yes, it's, exactly. It's really good to have you back. Got to get back. you back up to D.C. Absolutely. It'll happen soon. So, But right now we have the privilege of talking to Selene, who's currently in Rome. Uh, Selene Tadier is our European correspondent. She's been covering the register, uh, well, happenings in Europe for the register for, for a few years now. The story I mentioned uh, was done for Catholic News Agency, and it was, as I said, it, it topped our charts last month. Um, it was a, a very nice story. Uh, and yeah, a, a web platform um, that aims to help people combat porn addictions in their life. And the Carlo Acutis, a young man uh, who, who died a young man um, and is now a blessed, was the inspiration. So, Solen, welcome back to Register Radio, and thanks for this great kind of reporting on great evangelization. Hello, and thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure, Jeanette. So this platform is called SOS Porn Deliverance, and as I understand it, it originated in France, which is where you are from, um, and it was recently made available in English. What's the story behind this new initiative? So, yes, Jeanette, the, the co-founder of, of Light in the Dark, a French online evangelization association that is not also available in the U.S., uh, felt compelled to launch this platform especially dedicated to porn addiction uh, because it is a very unsuspected scourge uh, to today's society at every level because it starts very often at a very young age and the la latest figures available prove that around 56 percent of divorces in the u.s and also elsewhere in the west uh, are caused by pornographic uh, uh, addictions and you know the, the, the internet worldwide uh, is represented by 25% of global 25% uh, 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 um, of, of porn addiction as well and, and some, some 8 year old uh, children are also addicted to porn so it is a scourge that's, that's are doing a lot of damage and we don't even suspect that so that's, that's why how they, they came up with this idea and it became also available in English uh, in, in March for the Feast of St. Joseph uh, in order to, to save also the, these families and, and protect these more and more young people affected with that. 
And of course, their connection to blessed Carlo Acutis is because Carlo Acutis was a computer programmer who used the online platform for a very beautiful purpose, right? And that purpose was to bring people uh, closer to the Eucharist. He tracked Eucharistic um, uh, adoration and miracles and brought people uh, closer to the Eucharist using the internet. And so it's, a, it's wonderful to take him as a, a patron uh, for a site that is is combating the horrors, really, um, of the internet that can be done through porn. So it's, uh, it's a, a really wonderful story that I invite listeners to go to. It's called New Online Platform Fights Porn Addiction Under the Patronage of Blessed Carlo Acutis. And so, Lynn, I wanted to lead with that because it did such a, you know, it did so well on our website. But, but really, your focus has been lately on the Holy Father. Uh, he visited Hungary and you were there. Can you give us some highlights of his trip? So, yeah, it was a very strong moment. It was a much-awaited event because, of course, this trip was a, a result of the promise that Pope Francis made to the Hungarian people during the 2021 uh, um, Eucharistic Congress in Budapest, so a year and a half. But since he just could attend the, the, the conclusive Mass, people were a bit disappointed because they couldn't enjoy his presence enough. So he promised that he would come back. And it looks like he was very... Uh, impressed by the fervor that he witnessed among the Hungarian faithful. So that's why he decided to come back after so a year and a half. And the, the, the trip was organized so that he could really meet with the whole Hungarian society since he couldn't really travel outside Budapest because of his health issues as well. So the, the, the bishops' conference made sure that he could be introduced to the whole society, generations across generations, backgrounds, he made a lot of uh, political representatives, of course, the president, Katalin Novak, the prime minister, uh, Orban, as well as the mayor, one of the leaders of the opposition. He met also with various representatives of the Catholic Church and other Christian denominations, including, imp very important, the Orthodox Metropolitan Hilarion of Budapest in the context of the war in Ukraine as well. One thing that is very uh, well remembered right now that moved a lot of people across Hungary was the, the big meeting with thousands and, and thousands of young people in the stadium who came from different parts of Hungary as well. And it aroused a lot of enthusi enthusiasm across the city in front of the Basilica of St. Stephen. There were a lot of screens and people who couldn't attend the event could follow uh, the event from there. And I really love the atmosphere that I witnessed there. So a lot of things happened during these three days. It's true that what is noticeable is that the welcoming of migrants was the main issue reported in the international press. But it's true that the Pope insisted a lot on, on the need to keep doors open to others during his homily on Sunday. But, but he also insisted on, on a lot of different topics during his trip in, uh, to the Hungarian capital. From a diplomatic point of view, it was very rich because he could somehow understand that Hungary and the Holy See were in tune in their efforts to promote peace between Russia and Ukraine. But also he made a very strong um, appeal to Europe when meeting with the president, Katalin Novak, from the first day of his visit, urging the old continent not to lose its soul. He warned against the risk of ideological colonization, whose main uh, manifestations are uh, the symptoms, uh, we could say that, the, the development of gender ideology, uh, the practice of the widespread practice of abortion and, and so on. So it was a very rich uh, trip and sometimes sometimes a little bit underreported, but there is a lot to uh, 
to, to read about it uh, on, on the Vatican website as well. And we reported extensively on that uh, on EWTN as well. And Solène, uh, the Holy Father, in as you note uh, in his comments about ideological colonization, he also spoke about uh, the threats to the family and uh, spoke out very forcefully against abortion. But I noticed that he also, in some ways, celebrated the fact that Hungary is is so pro-family, something that um, mm-hmm. we don't hear a lot of in the Western press. Uh, there's a tendency to really downplay that in favor of uh, sort of the nationalism of Viktor Orban's government. What was your take on the Holy Father's uh, compliment to the Hungarian people? It's true. So once again, I mean, the Pope also somehow uh, told the, the Hungarian people that they should be more open and all, but what didn't, what was not reported in the press is that somehow the Pope really seems to to, to be impressed by uh, the, the, the pro-family policies that are being implemented in Hungary, he praised them, he praised them very often, even before this trip, but he repeated that during the trip. Like when he, during his appeal to you, to the European Union, to the old continent, he really said how much better it would be to build a Europe centered on the human person and its peoples, uh, pointing out uh, to, to, to these Hungarian pro-family policies that encourage married couples to have children, which is something, of course, that uh, the, the international press tended not to report, but it was something very important. And we, he really insisted on that. He, 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 these were very strong words. What were some? What are some of those uh, policies that maybe we don't hear about enough in the U.S. and elsewhere? So over the past years, several. So it, it's constantly evolving, but uh, it, there are some uh, uh, some ways. For instance, for young couple who get married young at a young age, if they have a first children, then Maybe their loan, their st- the, the loan that they, they contracted when, to, when they started their, their studies can be completely cancelled after the second or the third child. I should just check that. I can't remember exactly, but they have a lot of different policies that some, some kind of uh, encourage young people to get married, to, to, uh, to buy houses, to, to have children, and then their taxes will be reduced or their loans will be cancelled. And so it's it's proving to be uh, efficient uh, so far. Right. It's really a pact between the government and 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 families um, that that exactly. together you can you can su- succeed in in building society. So it is it's really a beautiful um, a beautiful opportunity to see the Hungarian people. I know you attended a an event on uh, a Saturday night. It was a prayer. Uh, a prayer vigil uh, before the Pope's Mass. Uh, what was that exactly. like? What What were you hearing and seeing at that event? It was very beautiful because you you could really feel the 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 the, the, the fervor of these of these Christians. Many of them were coming from different parts of Hungary, but there were also people from different countries. I I interviewed a, a, a lovely English woman, Australian Australian English a convert to, to Catholicism, and she made the trip. Uh, especially to, it was her first visit with Pope Francis to, to see Pope Francis and w- th- there was this big adoration and she told me the meaning of adoration and th- there was this, this very beautiful atmosphere. It was at the, the, the oldest uh, parish church of uh, of Hungary, one of the oldest, the oldest of Budapest. Uh, it's celebrating its 975th anniversary. So th- there was this very special atmosphere there. Uh, they, they did a concert. They, they were beautiful songs and and then in the morning they all gathered again at 5 a.m and they all went together to the papal mass so they were very courageous and they sang the, 
the, the Vatican's hymn as well as the Hungarian hymn with a lot of flags from the Vatican, Hungary. So it was something very beautiful to see and, and live. You know, Celine, all of us on this call, on this uh, in this show, have experienced a papal event, and the especially with young people, and the enthusiasm that flows from it. And in the Hungarian society already, you, you do see a great enthusiasm for um, values, um, for, for truth. Uh, what can we expect from this trip as our final question? It's true. So we, we'll see. I mean, from a diplomatic point of view, I, all the officials I spoke to were very thrilled because they think that it will bear fruit, then it's, we will see the impact on the youth because even in Hungary, they have similar problem. They have dechristianization as well, although they tend to be more uh, attached to their traditions, uh, to their Christian roots, but they still struggle with the same phenomenon. And, and so the, 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 the president of the Bishop's Conference, which I interviewed as well, told me that he was really hoping that this visit could bring new, imp new impetus to, uh, the, to this youth because, uh, because of this pope, the, the papal visit. It, it, it really looks like they were so enthusiastic about, about the, the, his presence. So I hope it can have a positive impact, especially since they already have a solid base, a solid right. cultural base, a Christian base. So, yeah, we will we'll see maybe very more, more concrete fruits in the coming months. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your coverage. We appreciate your travels and what you bring to Catholic News Agency and National Catholic Register. Of course, it's always a pleasure, Jeanette. When we come back, Register Senior Editor Jonathan Liedl brings us more stories of his trip to Germany, some highlights and some lowlights. This is Register Radio on EWTN. Stay tuned for more. If you need your news on the go, read the register online. But if you want to take your time and savor the stories, then subscribe to the National Catholic Register's print edition. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try the register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Join the Catholics who depend on the Register for its faithful and courageous reporting. Get six issues free today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, and your host here on Register Radio. Uh, for a while now, we have been covering the German Church, and we've heard a lot about the German Synod, which has brought into view, into global view, many heterodox views, uh, non-orthodox views um, of many Catholics there who are pushing things um, like uh, women's ordination or, or that um, just about anybody could celebrate the Eucharist or receive the Eucharist. Um, lots of things that, that rub up against uh, our tradition and it's been pretty negative. Uh, yet, there are some signs of, of life and of hope in Germany. 
in March, the Register sent Jonathan Liedel over to Germany to attend uh, the, the proceedings of, a, of the German Synod. Uh, and also to get a feel uh, for German Catholicism. And we are joined now by Jonathan Liedel. Welcome, Jonathan. Great to be with you, Jeanette. So uh, we got a lot of praise um, for the coverage that you did um, when you were in Germany and the stories that you have brought back because I think they get, they kind of get down to the ground level, right? And what's happening um, with normal church-going people and this recent story that you did uh, really shares a dilemma um, of many of those Catholics who are Orthodox, who truly believe what the Church teaches and what tradition uh, has, has taught us uh, about marriage, about family, about um, the sacraments, right, and about ordination. And yet they see their leadership in the Church, uh, bishops and others who are kind of pushing for what they call progress, <laughs> development, um, in, in certain regards. Um, and these Catholics are pushing back, but it's difficult to do so. Um, I want to understand more about that. And mm-hmm. I understand that the German tax situation is one of the reasons why it's hard to push back. So, Jonathan, first of all, what is the German church tax? Yeah, absolutely. This is something that mystifies so many of us because it's not at all the practice here uh, in America or most other places in the world. But the German church tax, uh, the Kirchensteuer, is actually uh, a feature of the Constitution from 1919 that legally mandates uh, that those who belong to religious communities pay for it, right? So, uh, for instance, um, if you're a Catholic in Germany living in Berlin, let's say, 9% uh, of what you would be charged for your income tax automatically goes to the Catholic Church, and that's actually facilitated by the government, uh, again, because they legally mandate it. So if you're in a, a situation right now, like many faithful Catholics in Germany who are deeply upset about the synodal way and these heterodoxical resolutions that it's promoting, uh, you're made even more upset by the fact that you're actually paying for it, right? You're mm-hmm. you're required to pay for it because this church tax is simply automatically taken out uh, of your income every month. And in fact, the only way uh, for you to stop paying the church tax is to uh, publicly disaffiliate from the Catholic Church in Germany, which just shows how deeply intertwined um, the, the kind of legal complex uh, and and the church are in Germany. It's both a, a legal matter and also a spiritual matter um, to be Catholic or to be a member of any other religion. So it's created quite a dilemma. A lot of people who I talk to in Germany, again, among those people who who you know are faithful Catholics going to Mass, want to be in union with Rome, don't want to be complicit in something that they think is promoting heresy or a potential schism, uh, they feel like their consciences are being violated uh, to continue in this arrangement. But to disaffiliate from the church and avoid paying the tax uh, carries with it consequences, Um, consequences for sacramental access. You're technically barred from receiving the Eucharist, going to confession, Um, good luck getting ordained if, if you've disaffiliated. And then even other ecclesial participation uh, is prohibited. You can't be a godparent. You can't, uh, you know, volunteer in church ministry. You couldn't be a theologian. So a lot of Catholics, though, uh, are kind of faced with this dilemma. And, uh, you know, the way it's put is, do I have to leave uh, the Catholic Church? Do I have to publicly disaffiliate from the legally recognized Catholic Church in order to 
remain Catholic in order to not have my conscience violated uh, and, and feel like, you know, I'm still in union with the Church Universal. So that's the situation right now. Yeah, it sounds very dire. It reminds me a bit of what happen, is happening now in China, and I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, are, the, are people actually doing it, Jonathan? And, and if so, how, how do they remain Catholic it, by disaffiliating? You know, they, how do they receive the sacraments? Do they have to leave Germany? Yeah, I've heard. I don't think it's widespread yet, but uh, talking to uh, New Beginning, which is uh, a lay group uh, that's really kind of arisen uh, as a vocal critic of the Synodal Way, they said after the recent assembly in March, when all these heterodoxical resolutions were passed, uh, that not a, not a day goes by when someone isn't calling them or emailing them or sending a letter asking uh, if they should disaffiliate, right? Asking if, if to protect their conscience, as to stay, um, you know, to express their solidarity with the universal church, whether they need to leave the German church. Um, so you do hear stories of people who have already done it. Um, and I think in some cases, you know, there, there are Catholic priests in Germany who are critics of the synodal way. And even those who aren't, who, who feel like the sort of prohibitions connected with disaffiliating are too harsh. So mm-hmm. a number of people I talked to, you know, said that if they left, if they did disaffiliate, um, they might still be able to access the sacraments, right? They might have a priest who, um, you know, takes some pity on them uh, or something like that. Uh, but, you know, I don't think it's, it, it hasn't happened um, in mass yet. And right. new beginning. It's a threat. Mm-hmm. It's a threat. It's something people are considering. I mean, one one guy I met in Berlin, David Rodriguez, who who's a Spanish-German dual citizen. He's lived in Germany for the past 30 years. I mean, he kind of expressed it in dire terms to me. He, in his view, he said, "I can't, I can't keep on supporting, you know, what I view as heretical bishops." Right. So he, there's this kind of tension that he's experienced in his conscience right now. You know, every month when money is taken out of his paycheck and given to this church apparatus that. Um, to most observers is heading towards a serious confrontation with Rome and potential schism. Um, but, you know, he doesn't want to put at risk, um, you know, his access to the sacraments. So right. I think there are talks of forming like an underground church. Um, you know, That's with, the situation there, in China. Number of people. Right. That's yeah. Situ- but so not, yeah, not to preempt that, but um, the thing that's difficult in Germany is that uh if someone is already paying the the church tax, they're not going to have any incentive to join an underground church and to fund that from the bottom up. Uh, Germany doesn't have the same culture we do in the U.S. of kind of entrepreneurial Catholicism and people funding initiatives they believe in. So it really it would take people taking a kind of a leap of faith of something okay. very risky and disaffiliating. Uh, before you could even start building up something like uh, sort of an alternative underground Catholic church. Right. It would be a real act of rebellion. You would need a priest who would rebel in some ways, right, from mm-hmm. from the bishops of the country and, and people that would rebel too. But obviously the sacrament would be valid, um, mm-hmm. but... And, the, and they, they still w- are. I mean, this, mm-hmm. yeah, this is a number of people expressed to me that they really don't like what's going on with the Synodal Way. But, you know, as long as they can go to a valid mass, as long as they can find an Orthodox priest, an Orthodox, 
Orthodox parish, which there still are in Germany, right. they don't have that incentive yet to kind of go all the way over. You know, people told me about red lines, right, that if crossed would actually compel them to, to disaffiliate. Um, so attempted ordination of women, for instance, was one. Um, but until, you know, those measures happen, because again, the synodal way and its resolutions aren't binding at this point. They need to be implemented. Um, and in, until uh, they're implemented, um, some people, you know, caught in the middle of this are, are, are going to wait it out and see what happens. Right. Well, I do not want to end this show on a very negative note. And, and one of the people you highlighted from your trip um, was a man in Berlin who many call, uh, you know, the atheist capital, really, of the world. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But let's say yeah. of Germany, at least. Um, but he has basically described described Catholicism gone wild. He's got a lot of latitude, if you will, um, to really evangelize. Who is it and what's his story? Yeah, so this is Jan Philipp Gertz, uh, who I met during my time in Berlin. He's a former Lufthansa executive. So Lufthansa, of course, is the German national airline. They take a lot of pride in it. Um, and he was basically... A negotiator, so you know, high stakes um, negotiating airspace rights and all these kinds of things. So a real like intense guy, um, very competitive spirit. Um, but he had a major conversion event in his early 30s, um, and so he describes himself now as kind of a knight for Christ. Um, and you mentioned latitude. Berlin is really fascinating because unlike Bavaria to the south or the Rhineland to the west, those more traditionally Catholic parts of Germany. Berlin doesn't have much of a Catholic heritage. And then you, you know, you combine the devastation of World War II that basically wiped out the whole center of the city. And then you combine that with 50 years of, of communist rule in most of the city and the surrounding area. And there's really, there, there's not like that, uh, I don't know, like that established infrastructure that kind of gets in the way of newness and new evangelistic endeavors and apostolates. So, yeah, Jan Philip, um, you know, he drives this brown BMW, like zipping all over town. He's involved in, uh, you know, everything from this awesome lay group called Ethos Maria, uh, which tries to uh, incorporate art and faith, and then to his parish, San Clement, which is run by Indian Vicentian priests that has just an incredible uh, charismatic energy to it. They have perpetual adoration, as far as I know, the only place in Berlin that does. So just a lot of dynamism and a lot of energy. Um, and in that kind of edgy uh, y- you know, environment that is Berlin, there's this really uh, small, but really kind of compelling uh, and fruitful uh, Catholic movement beginning to arise. And it's that that we need more of, right? And that's why we end on this kind of note, because I think sparks... Uh, can ignite <laughs> when you have people willing uh, to keep keep them keep fanning them right keep them burning. Yeah, so. there's there's a faithful remnant. So for our listeners, I would just encourage you to not write off Catholics in Germany, but continue to pray for them and think of other ways you can support them. Absolutely, I couldn't say it better, Jonathan. Thanks for covering this uh, very important part of our church. We are the church militant, and we need to support each other. So thank you. My pleasure. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com, where you can find all the stories we talked about today. Thank you for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello, and until next week, I pray God bless you.